Thanks for listening to today's message. We hope that it will encourage you and help you live out your faith in everyday life. Make sure to download our church app by typing Comox Pentecostal into Google Play or the App Store to enjoy more podcasts, Bible resources, giving options, and more. Hey, that's the second last time you get to hear that song, so be sure to come back next week as we wrap up this series together. Before we get into the actual message itself, let me just uh, share something quickly. Um, Many people and many of our groups have been going through a companion uh, resource as well called Gospel Fluency, and uh, we hear feedback about people's experiences in books, and many, many people have said, this is really helpful, or it's stretching me. Most people kind of know that when you go through a book, when a pastor recommends a book, they're not saying, I literally recommend every single word in this book. Most of us are like, oh, right, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grow through some of the concepts, but it's okay if I have some questions or I'm not sure about some things along the way. We've heard from many people that they've appreciated this author's style of writing and some of the practical things he's saying. And so if that's you, he actually has written a second book called Saturate, and our council and our staff have gone through this. This was helpful and influential in our vision process as well. And we happen to have five copies of it uh, left over, and they're available at the debit table, which is, if you're watching at home, you don't care about my hand gestures right now, but it's through those doors if you've never been there. So if you'd like to leave a donation of $1,000, uh, you could probably have five books. No, they're going to just be $20 each, and you could pick it up if you're interested in another great resource that Jeff Banderstelt writes. All right, we are now on to the fifth and final tree in this series. Next week, we're going to talk about what does this actually mean to our real lives? How should we process this? Why are we talking about five trees? We've been journeying through this idea that in Scripture, there are five significant trees that appear. That number one, they actually help us to understand the whole of the Bible better. Let's be honest. I think we can. We're Christians in a church. We should be honest. How many of you have ever been confused with the Bible before? Can I put up both my hands too? Yes. This is helping me to understand Scripture better. These five trees, and in the order they come to us in, helps us understand what God is doing. Do you know that the Bible is not about you? (laughs) Many of us approach it assuming, well, this is like the next best self-help guide out there. It's not. It's a story of God and what he's doing in our world. And so it's a story of God and five trees. And so when we follow these five trees, we understand a little better what God's doing in the world. We understand a little better what's happening in the Bible. And most importantly, we get to see, I think, with each of these trees, a beautiful part of God's heart. And I hope that as many of you have been journeying week through week on Sundays and in midweek conversations, the biggest takeaway is what you're seeing about Jesus himself, what you're learning about what God's heart is like. Can he be trusted or not. I think he's beautiful. I think he's wonderful. And I think this is helping me, and I hope it's helping you as well. So these five trees help us to understand scripture. They actually help us to understand the story of the gospel a lot better. And again, uh, spoiler alert, the gospel's not about you. (laughs) I mean, many times we have been introduced to it that, hey, there's this message, and it's all about how rotten you are, and you need to do this, and you need to do that, and you need to do this. And there are some elements of truth in there, but when you make it all about you, then no wonder so many of us become consumer Christians for the rest of our lives. We came to God because it was all about us. Uh, but that's not what God's designed. This story is about him. It's about what he's doing, and then our response to him. 
The gospel's about God. It's about how amazing he is through each of these five trees expressed to us. Now, the first tree is the tree of, I hope, you're, I hope many of you will try to remember these. The first tree is the tree of life, right. Uh, some of you had a question mark and some of you were waiting to hear what other people were gonna say first. Let's try that one more time. Tree of? Life. Right, and the second one is the tree of? I know there's a bit of tree of, what was that? You're confused. Do we say the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or do we say the tree of freedom? For our purposes as we're remembering the story of God and the five trees, I want you to say it's the tree of freedom. That's the idea. That's what we're seeing in God's heart, that he so generously cares about humanity that he offers us free choice to receive him or reject him. That's bold, it's wild, it's wonderful. And he does that because it makes love possible in relationship. In fact, I think all five of these trees point to God's love. Life, freedom, and then the third tree is? Faithfulness, Faithfulness. yeah. Let's say freedom together. I didn't get you to do that with freedom. Faithfulness? Yeah, very good, you're with me today. And then last week, we looked at the work of Jesus on the cross, and it's a tree of? Forgiveness, about one-third of you were here last week. A tree of? Forgiveness. forgiveness. I just, I'm wanting you to repeat so you remember life, freedom, faithfulness, forgiveness. As you begin thinking about these words and as you start realizing this is who God is and what he offers humanity, I think it's stunning. And so today we come to a fifth tree. And as you look at it, uh, visually, the way we've depicted it, some of you who are very, very bright are realizing that looks a lot like another tree we've seen already. Why is that? And in a moment, we're going to discover exactly why. What I want to point out to you, or just by way of reminder, last week when we talked about God's forgiveness expressed through the cross, it was in response to this idea that after the first three trees, us as people still had three significant problems. Three major problems, and they were these. Number one, we're all going to die. <laughs> Anybody like Bill Murray? Uh, what about Bob? It's the best movie out there. Okay, I, there is cursing in it, I understand, so if you don't get mad at me and send me an email afterwards. <laughs> Bob is in a sleepover, and him and this other person all of a sudden are facing their mortality. I am going to die. You are going to die. And Bill Murray, of course, delivers it so well. We're all going to die. And they're just, but it's true, right? Even after the first three trees, there are so many things that God has done wonderfully for us. But in light of us choosing independence instead of dependence, there are consequences, including we are all going to die. I think we've got a slide for this one, Tim Chi. Yeah, there we go. Two, uh, if we could access the tree of life, would we actually want to? Because we'd be forever stuck in our corrupted state. Remember after Adam and Eve took of the tree, separated themselves from God. What did God do? He put a barrier between them and the tree of life. Why? Because he's a big meanie and he wanted to say, this is your punishment? No, because he's so good. He didn't want you and I to be stuck in our corrupted state by having taken part of a tree of life, so living forever, essentially, in our sinful brokenness. And so there was a barrier put between. And then the third major problem is this. There's a barrier between us and God, not just between us and the tree, but between us and God. Last week I said it's kind of like holding a moving box and trying to hug a loved one at the same time. That barrier is our sin. And at the cross, so the, th the, the fourth tree, 
That's where God deals with that barrier. So number three has actually been dealt with now, now that we're after the four trees. Fifth tree, let's hope, deals with number one and number two. And with that in mind, would you turn with me, or let's follow along on the screen, to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 21. We're going to look at the very final. I, I think this is fascinating to me. I think this is helpful that there are five trees and... A couple of them appear bookended in scripture for us. One at the very beginning, well, two at the very beginning, and then we find another tree again at the very end. Many of you know where I'm going with that. Let's look now. Chapter 21, verse 1. John is writing, and he says this. He's in this visionary experience. Then I saw a new, could everybody say new? New heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any See, if you're a very visual person or perhaps a literal person, you might be like, oh, does the new heaven and new earth really have no ocean? I kind of like the ocean. That's why I'm living here. Do I have to take in all the ocean now because there won't be there? No, that's not what it's saying. In the ancient world, the sea was always a symbol of chaos and disruption. And so this is God's way of saying in the new world, there won't be that kind of chaos and disruption anymore. Why? Because the old order of things has passed away. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with people. This is so beautiful. Many of us have probably been exposed to a certain version uh, of a Bible story that's actually not true, that's kind of the reverse of this, it's that the, one day God's gonna sort of crumple up all of the things and burn it, and instead of us staying here, we go away. Uh, but as we read scripture, it's actually the opposite. God's not uh, done with this. He's coming here, and we're here too. Now, now the dwelling of God is with people, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said this, Behold, I am making all things new. Oh, that's good news. Okay, for the sake of time, we're going to skip the rest of chapter 21 and go straight into chapter 22. Here it begins like this. Then an angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb down the middle of the great street of that city. Remember the city that came down to earth, the New Jerusalem? On each side stood what? The tree of life. That's why it looks the same on our imagery here. One tree at the beginning returns, it seems, again in the end. And is it the end or is it a new beginning? Bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Isn't that so nice? Because one of the trees sure brought death and chaos to our world. And one tree returns and brings healing and hope to our world. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face. Have you ever longed to see God face to face? I mean, this is a real hope that you and I have. This isn't just 
literal fancy speak, or, or figurative fancy speak, speak. You will see God face to face if you trust and follow him through Jesus Christ. And they will reign forever and ever. When you've read that, or as you're encountering this now, perhaps for the first time, have you ever wondered, how did we get access to that tree again? How do we get access to that tree again? There's two things that I think come to mind and help us. Number one, God says he's making all things new. We read that in chapter, Revelation chapter 21, verse 5. He declares, behold, I'm making all things new. And it's actually important to point something very significant out. He's not saying, behold, I'm making all new things. He's not, I'll make all new things. He's making all things new. There is a work of renewal that God is doing and will complete in a new beginning for humanity and for all creation. So God says he's making all things new, and then this is so importantly, we've already sung about it this morning. Number two, God shows that he is making all things new. I want you to turn with me to the book of John. The book of John chapter 19, I'd love to hear some Bible papers. Just tease my heart a little bit. Some of you are doing that with your mouth, that's a little bit weird. Try to use real paper. Uh, I believe there should be a Bible app that even as you're scrolling, it's making this sound. So somebody help me with that. You'll make money, I'm sure. John chapter 19, John chapter 19, beginning in verse 40. This is immediately now after the fourth tree, the cross. Jesus has died on the cross. Forgiveness is achieved for you and I because of the work of of God for us. Verse 40 says this, taking Jesus' body, two of them wrapped it with burial spices and strips of linen. This was according to Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. Can you say the word garden? And then what does John say? And in the garden, can you say that word again? Remember, Papyrus and ink, I mean, it's limited resource in the ancient world. Why in the world is John using the word garden twice there? Worth pondering. There in the garden, a new tomb which no one had ever been laid. Because it was a Jewish day of preparation and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Chapter 20, verse 1, we're going all the way through to verse 8. Early on the first day, what's the first day of the week? Sunday. This is why us as Christians gather together on Sundays. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from its entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So she suspects perhaps the Roman authorities have taken him away, or grave robbers have actually come. They're alerted. Verse 3. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both of them were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over, looked in at strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went right into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Again, Limited papyrus, limited ink. Why is John including details about folded laundry? 
Because if there was, a, there, were, there was rumors after the resurrection of Jesus that, well, maybe it was actually a, a grave robbery. In fact, that was a story that many Jewish authorities or Roman authorities would spin. Oh, his body was just stolen by some of his followers. Well, if they're robbing, why are they taking the time to clean up after themselves? This is John's point. It's all folded neatly and nicely. It's as if the son of life has overcome death and brought order where there was darkness and chaos. That's what's going on. Verse 8, finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and he trusted. He saw and he trusted. What's the implication here? What's, what's the story? How does God show us that he's making all things new? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Friends, for you and I, the resurrection of Jesus Christ has massive implications for you and for I. I want to just point some things out to you from Scripture. In Romans chapter 8, verse 11, it says this. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead is living in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. This is such good news. God's spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, where does he live? Way, way, way far away? No, he dwells in you. How is that possible? Remember at the fourth tree at the cross, what happens when Jesus dies? What happens in the temple? There was a part of the temple called the Holy of Holies, and there was this large curtain that went from the ground level all the way up about 70 feet into the air where it was hung. It was several inches thick, and at the moment Jesus died, it tore in two, not from bottom to top as if humanity could do that, but from top to bottom. They didn't have ladders. There was no people that could tear through inches of fabric like that. It was an act of God. The curtain was torn. Why? So that the presence of God, which is represented as living in that one place on earth, the Holy of Holies, was no longer contained there, but he was now free to stand up, open the curtains, and move into your life and mine as well. God's Spirit lives in you, and it's the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. And the promise is, that same Spirit will give life to your mortal body. That's not figurative fancy speak. He will do this. Romans chapter 6, verses 4 and 5 say this, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. I, this is such good news. I remember, I mean, I... Uh, we don't always come face to face with this reality depending on where you grew up, maybe in the body of Christ. There have been times and eras even in our own Pentecostal movement where there's just sort of been this assumed idea that I guess after we die, we become sort of this disembodied spirit that floats away into a cloud somewhere, strums a harp, eats Philly cream cheese because the ad shows an angel doing that. Um, and I guess that's it. And I remember when I was in, I think, my second year of Bible college, I had a friend who was quite a new Christian, and he did this radical thing called reading the Bible and trusting it. And he, he said to me one day, he said, what are you going to do after we're resurrected? And I'm like a lifelong follower of Jesus. I'm like, what do you mean after we're resurrected? He's like, well, at the end, I mean, Jesus says I'm coming back, and it's not about us going away. 
God comes back and he makes all things new. He's going to resurrect us. Like he trusted scriptures like this. And the other one that I just read for you, I'm like, what what do you mean? I've never thought about that before. Well, I don't know what I'm going to do. He said, I think I'm going to play basketball. (laughs) Why not? 1 Corinthians 6.14 says this, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us up Also, 1 Peter 1.3 says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen to this. Romans chapter 5 verse 17 says this, For if by the trespass or sin of the one man, death reigned through that one man. Who do we think that Paul might be speaking about here? Adam, right? So this is saying in the garden at the beginning, Adam and Eve made a decision. And what happened? Death reigned everywhere. So Paul says this, if by that trespass of one person, death reigns, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So there's this contrast. Hey, Paul is writing to the church in Rome. He's like, I I want you to understand this. You know, in the beginning of the story with those first few trees, I mean, we as humanity, we messed up and, and it's depicted in what Adam and Eve did. And because of their failing, death has reigned everywhere. And some of you might think, I've not even done too many deathy kind of things, but you're still gonna die. But guess what? Because of the next and the better man, Jesus Christ, What he did in life actually applies to you too. I heard a great illustration. I'm going to borrow it for this moment as well. Pretend I have a heart attack. Forgot to take my blood pressure medication, and boom, I go down right here. And pretend you could hear my toe talk. Pick any one of my toes, but it talks, okay? And it says, hang on, why am I dead? And you answer, well, there was a heart attack. Well, I'm not a heart, I'm a toe. I didn't have a toe attack. And you have to explain to that toe, listen toe, the heart is part of your body and the heart, because of what happened in the heart, you are dead now. Now, okay, you're with me there. Now we have, thankfully, if I've died in that case, we have very, you know, we've got doctors and paramedics and uh, medical people in the room. And so somebody's got a defibrillator, whatever you call those things, I'm definitely saying it wrong. Uh, the, The paddles. So they come, and I'm laying here, and they give me one shock, and then they up it, and they give me another one, and I come back. And you guys are supposed to cheer at that moment, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, thank you. I do feel loved. I think I was a little worried there. You're like, oh, uh, we could have had a new pastor. No, but I'm back. And then the toe thinks, well, what did I do? I'm alive. Now, did the toe do anything to get back to life? No, the toe was in the heart that was revived, part of the body that came to life. And you and I were in Adam and Eve, and we came under the curse that fell under all of creation. But then as a beautiful result of the wonderful things that are in God's heart, like life and freedom and faithfulness and forgiveness and renewal, Jesus comes along and says, I've come to new life, therefore you live also. That's good news. So the resurrection has massive implications for you, but it also has massive implications for the whole rest of the world, if you're willing to think about it. I want to just pause for a moment to 
give you a couple other book recommendations. Again, I can never say, oh, every single word in this book is gospel truth, but it's worth learning and growing as followers of Christ. Some of you have maybe seen or heard of this book before. It's called Heaven by Randy Alcorn. It's helped me a lot. Anybody else read this before? It's a very helpful book. I think we have a copy in our library here. I know Amazon has many copies as well. It does look intimidating because it's super long, but it's written in a really approachable kind of way. Very helpful in understanding what God is doing now and what he's going to do in our shared future together. New heaven, new earth. Excellent book. I know that there's um, sometimes controversial writings out there about heaven and it can include a lot of like experiences people have had and I'm not trying to make commentary about that. What's beautiful about this book is it's not trying to disregard or diss those kind of things. It's just saying if we had to look only at scripture to learn about eternity, what would it tell us? What would the Bible tell us? And I know it's like 300 pages, but it's very approachable, very easy to go through. It includes some really common questions that all of us like ask. Will I be allowed to still be married to my spouse in heaven? Some of you are like, I actually have the opposite question. You need other kind of help. Uh, there's prayer after the service for you. Um, <laughs> Another book that this has helped me significantly, sorry, I don't have the actual cover for it, the jacket, I took it off, Surprised by Hope by N.T. Wright, Tom Wright, N.T. Wright, Surprised by Hope. Um, if you like reading at a graduate level, um, university level, scholarly kind of stuff, it took me months to get through this book, and I find myself like rereading a paragraph and then rereading it again, but then it sort of settles in, you're like, wow, this is, the implications are massive, it's so helpful for for me, and I think for many of you, you might find a read like that helpful and interesting. N.T. Wright actually says this, not in this book, but elsewhere. The, and this, okay, under, let me just back up one se second to say this. The resurrection of Jesus doesn't just have serious implications for you. It has serious implications for the whole world and all of humanity. And here's how Tom puts it. He says, the risen body of Jesus is the one bit of the physical universe that has already been set right. Jesus is therefore the one through whom everything else will be set right. Can I give you the gospel or the good news in a nutshell? I just want to put this up on the screen for you. For some of you, it'll be painfully simple, simple not sinful. Uh, and I think it'll be helpful. Three thoughts. Number one, Jesus is Lord and Savior. Number two, death, evil, and sin are thoroughly, absolutely defeated through Jesus Christ. And number three, God's new world is beginning. And what's the biggest signal of that? The resurrection of Jesus. Now, if this is a newer thought for you, I just let me help you with that a little further. God's new world, how is it inaugurated? With the resurrection of Jesus. How is it implemented? Through his church. This is what we're doing right now. We continue to bring the future world of God towards earth now. Through loving one another. Through loving our community. Through caring. Through compassion. Through ministry. Through the good news of Jesus. Does it ever get finished? Because we as a church, you know, we're slow at this, right? The implementation, it's... It's hard, it's tough. We make some progress and then we take a few steps back or history pushes us in one direction or there are other parts of the world where Christians are absolutely bullied and the message is sort of restricted. Yes, the good news is there will be a day that this actually is completed, that there is a culmination. And when is that? It's when scripture says Jesus is returning. 
And that's really good news for us. It's not that Jesus is going to, you know, when Jesus rose again, he didn't become a disembodied spirit and float away up into the sky and say, one day I'll rescue you from this place. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he was a physical human being and he still is. And he ascended into the heavens. And he didn't say, one day I'm going to rescue you from this place. He said, I'm coming back. Why? New heaven, new earth. Are married in one place here. God moves in with his people on earth. Jesus will return, not to rescue from, but to renew, to renew, to renew, to culminate the renewal of his people and to culminate the renewal of his creation. Jeff Vanderstelt says this in Gospel Fluency. We let that future inform our present behavior. If we know what the future is going to look like, that influences how we live our lives and what we busy ourselves with now. We let what we know about the future inform us what to do about the brokenness we see around us every day. Because we are already new creations in Christ. We invite the future hope into our present lives through the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. We as his people point forward toward a better day by giving people a taste of it now. Certainly we can't provide that full taste. Only Jesus can and he will in the end, which again is a new beginning. And he is in us and at work through us to show the world what God is like. I want you to understand together with me right now in the next few moments that the resurrection of Jesus, it speaks some significant things to us and to our world. It reveals a few things. Number one, it reveals this. The physical and material world matter to God. The physical and material world matters to God. Bodies matter. The earth matters. Secondly, therefore, the earth matters right now. Land matters, animals matter, environment matters, ecosystems matter. N.T. Wright says this, what creation needs is neither abandonment or evolution. And this is important that he says that. There are certain versions of Christian theology which I view as incorrect that would cause followers of Jesus to actually think, why don't we just abandon this creation? If it's going to burn one day, let's, you know, why worry about it too much now? But that's wrong. It's going to be renewed by Christ. So we have an obligation to join in and participate with what God is going to do then by participating in it now. So we don't abandon it. And the solution isn't evolution either. Isn't this, it's not this idea that, well, if we as a species and all the species on the earth just keep getting better and better, probably that'll fix it. Well, no, that's not the ultimate hope either. What creation needs is neither abandonment or, nor evolution, but rather redemption and renewal. And this is both promised and guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. This is what the whole world is waiting for. The earth matters now. Number three, therefore, human bodies matter now. First heartbeats matter. Last heartbeats matter. All the heartbeats in between matter. Every body, or should I say every body, is worthy of dignity, care, and hope. So if the resurrection of Jesus points us to the tree of life and reconnects us with it in our future, if that means renewal for us and our world and 
we see that in God's heart, he wants to make all things new. What? How does that actually impact right now? (laughs) What does that mean for Monday, Saturday, this coming week? What do we do? Uh, Because N.T. Wright is so smart, here's what he says, and then I'll say what I say, okay? He says this, and I, I, I like it. It is a story of God's kingdom being launched on earth as it is in heaven, generating a new state of affairs in which the power of evil has been decisively defeated and the new creation has been decisively launched and Jesus' followers, so this is going to speak to what we do, have been commissioned and equipped to put that victory and that inaugurated new world into practice. Okay, so here's, that's how he says it, which is very impressive. We're going to gear down a few notches, You'll, a little duller, but hopefully still helpful. Number one, here's a few things that I would say you and I could do. Number one is this. Do Jesus wants to renew this kind of things? Hopefully that's really simple. We're like, oh, I think I get that. I think all of us could think about this. What would it look like this week for you to do Jesus wants to renew this kind of things? I'm a more of a throw-it-in-the-garbage kind of person. Laura's more of a recycle-it kind of person. She's closer to that than I am. Jesus wants to renew this place. Creation care actually matters. We have a responsibility as followers of Christ to steward our Father's creation. Conservation matters. This isn't a political statement. It's a spiritual one. Ethical fishing matters to me. It didn't, and if I'm honest, it didn't always. Many of you know I love fishing. There were many years ago where I, I didn't think about the species, the, the ecosystems, and now I do. Not because I'm following a political idea, but because I've seen what God's doing through Scripture. And He cares about these rivers, He cares about these fish, and I do too. Ethical hunting matters. Ethical farming matters from a spiritual point of view. Um, I think we have a project unfolding in our community right now that I just, I think is kingdom work. At the 17th Street Bridge. Couscous Sum. You've driven by it before. Before I lived here the first time, apparently there was a mill on that site and it was all paved and Uh, It's been vacant for a long time. And then a a group of people had a vision for allowing it to become estuary again. And so the slogan of the project is unpaving paradise. I'd like to know if a bunch of Bible-believing Christians are behind that project. Because it sure sounds like one. They're helping the Comox Valley taste and see that the Lord is good. That he's the creator of all and we care about his world. And that one day he's going to return to renew it. And that matters. Creation care matters. People care matters. Helping needy people is the thing you can do in an expression of Jesus wants to renew this. Feeding hungry people is part of doing Jesus wants to renew it kind of things. Defending oppressed people. Seeing 127 in all people, regardless of if you agree with them or like them or not. Just 127, they matter. They're God's image bearers. Treating people that way, it's part of our Jesus wants to renew this mandate. So that's number one. Number two, share 
Jesus wants to renew this kind of news. So if you've been tracking with us through this series, we have five trees, and you've, you've memorized them already, and I'll put them on the screen for you right now. We have the tree of life. and then, Okay, close your eyes. No, no, you don't have to close. And then we have the tree of freedom, tree of faithfulness, forgiveness, and then lastly, renewal. We haven't said that yet together. Can we say that? Renewal. renewal. Oh, that was pretty good. Renewal. Now, when you look at these words, and this represents who God is and what he's doing in our world, and you and I have the opportunity to join him and participate and benefit from this, is this good news? This is really good news. Does this speak to everyday life kind of stuff? Absolutely, it does. Third, lastly, pray. Jesus wants to renew this kind of prayers. Pray Jesus wants to renew this kind of prayers. You've got to look at the example of Jesus in the Gospels. When you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he can't help himself. He, everywhere he's going, he's healing people. He's compassionately including and helping people. He's restoring. He's adding dignity. He's returning dignity back to people. He's raising dead bodies to life. There's stories of him doing that in the Gospels. Why is he doing that? He's giving all his followers and anybody who will listen and look a significant hint at what God's all about. Renewal. And he did it a lot of times through prayer ministry. Somebody would come to him with a problem and he would speak to them and he would speak to his father in that moment and the renewal work of God would come into that moment. God's future kingdom would come towards them. It's no secret that Jesus was driven by this mandate which he taught us to pray that your kingdom, Father, your kingdom would come and your will would be done where? On earth as it is in heaven. And so you and I, you and I get to pray from that same place in that same posture as well. Trusting that God wants to renew things. Jesus is renewing things. Friends, you and I may not always know when we pray if the renewal is going to happen in an instant, if the renewal is going to happen gradually, or if the renewal is going to happen at the culmination of all things. But I promise you this, Jesus is going to renew it. Right now, we have at least two households that I know of that are facing new cancer battles. In our, in our church family. And what do we do? We pray Jesus wants to renew this kind of prayers about that. We pray hoping that it could happen in an instant. Because sometimes it does. But we're open to the idea that it will happen gradually over time with medical help as well. And God forbid if neither work. We have a great hope in our risen Lord that death is not the end. There is new life in front of us all. He will renew He's committed to it. John chapter 20. Return to scriptures we were looking at earlier as we land today. I want you to see something with me. John chapter 20, beginning in verse 10. Remember the disciples had arrived at the tomb. They'd looked inside. Jesus isn't there. Okay, he's resurrected. They're still not sure how to trust or what's going on. Here it goes. Verse 10. Then the disciples went back to their home, their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one in his head, another where his foot was. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there. 
but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Just as a side, isn't Jesus wonderful? He doesn't say, hello, it's me. He actually cares for the person and the feelings in the moment. Why are you crying? Are you looking for someone? I think he's wonderful. Okay, this line is fascinating to me. Why does John include this? I think there might be importance for us to catch here. Thinking he was who? The gardener. She said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic. Rabbi, which means teacher. Jesus said, don't hold on to me, for I have yet not returned to my father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my father and your father, to my God and your God. I mean, there's so many other things we could talk about from that passage, but let me point out to this. Jesus is in a garden and is mistaken for a gardener. John wants us to see something here again. Remember the first trees and Adam and us as humanity kind of wrapped up into those kind of moments? There's Adam in a garden, and then there's Jesus in a garden. In the first garden, we have Adam asserting his independence, and we've all been there too, haven't we? And what comes along with Adam's move in the first garden? He welcomes thistles and thorns and death and fast forward to another garden, a better garden, and we have Jesus undoing the human independence calamity, overthrowing the reign of sin and evil and death with resurrection life and inaugurating a renewal for all creation. In the first garden, we have Adam eating from a tree that brings death to the world. In the second garden, Jesus brings life to the world and then opens up a way for all things to be renewed and for you and I and creation all together to come back to God's good tree of life. Would you stand with me today? I hope you'll take a couple deep breaths as we prepare to sing. And I want you to celebrate. Joel's going to lead us into a song together in response. And then we're going to have an opportunity to pray. Jesus wants to renew it kind of prayers together in ministry before we close. the world but it couldn't fill me man's empty praise and treasures that fade are never enough then you came along and put me back together Every desire is now satisfied here in your love. Oh, there's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing. 
Right now, I'm going to call our prayer ministry team forward right now. As they're coming forward, I'm going to ask Pastor Clay and Chantil if you'd also just join up front here, making yourselves available to pray with people. But we decided to pick today as the day to start including prayer ministry available every Sunday. Because we serve a God who's renewing all things. And we live in a world that's very broken and discouraged. And there's a lot of pain. But friends, if this is true, my goodness, we have hope. And moments like this, man, we're pregnant with a miracle that could happen at any moment if we would just reach out to God in prayer. I saw somebody walk in with a cane today that I hadn't seen use a cane before. We need God's future world to break in towards that. We have people facing things in their body we have relationships that need a miracle. We have souls. Many of you know, I know what it's like to have battled in mental illness. And I know what it's like to cry out to God for immediate help, or I'd settle for gradual help, but I have this hope that in the end, it's a new beginning. And that won't be there for me or anybody else either. But I'm still gonna pray for me, I'm still gonna pray for others, and you need that prayer too. So today, as we conclude, I'd invite you to receive prayer from somebody. If for some reason, you're, I don't know why you'd be uncomfortable receiving prayer from one of these amazing people, but if you are, just turn to a friend or family member you came with and pray before you leave. Or just come as we conclude today. There's no show, there's no whatever. It's not a spectacle, it's just good people trusting that God's good and wants to renew all things and it might just happen right now as we pray. Oh, would you just put your hand over your heart? We're going to conclude in a closing prayer together. Father, we acknowledge that we're going into your world on your mission. And we can't do this on our own. We want to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth in the Comox Valley as it is in heaven. And that's big. And I guess we're saying we're available. You could use us with our words, with our prayers, with our actions. We need your Holy Spirit for this, to bring your message, your ministry, your words, your ways into the everyday stuff of Tuesday and Thursday and all week long. Help us with that. And now, as we turn our hearts towards you asking, would your kingdom break in through prayer into these moments in this room for ministry now? In Jesus' name we pray this. Everybody said. Amen. I hope many of you will take advantage of the opportunity to receive prayer today. Please come forward now or just in a few moments as we conclude. It, listen, if you're not going to um, receive prayer and you want to chat, just head to the lobby or outside. We just want to make sure that people can kind of hear what's going on. The band's going to just softly play in the background. I hope you have a wonderful week. And again, if you like salty or sweet things, come back tonight. Uh, even if you don't like missions, just come for goodies tonight. Six. 
8.30 p.m. in the Fellowship Hall. God bless you. Thanks again for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged you as you live out your faith in everyday life. Make sure to download our church app by typing Comox Pentecostal into Google Play or the App Store to enjoy more podcasts, Bible resources, giving options, and more.